Be Wealthy and Smart, episode 422. into a world of wealth and financial freedom without budgets, boredom, or bosses on Be Wealthy and Smart. And now, here's your host, Linda P. Jones. Welcome to Be Wealthy and Smart. I'm Linda P. Jones, America's Wealth Mentor, empowering women and men worldwide to financial freedom. On today's show, we're going to talk about the best performing mutual funds year to date. And this comes in through Investors Business Daily, it was in the June 11th, 2018 edition, but the returns are for the first five months of the year through May 31st. And what's really interesting about this is sometimes it can be very challenging to get good performance numbers. And by that, I mean, it's not always easy to see what sectors are performing well, and sometimes you can hear about the Dow or the S&P 500, but beyond that, it seems like it's not really always very easy to find out where the best performing sectors are. So that's what I thought I would podcast about today. And this is really interesting in Investors Business Daily because we can see that there's a trend here and that trend is that for one, three, five, and 10 year performance, the best performing sectors have been actually in the technology area, specifically science and technology, global science and technology, health and biotechnology, and global health and biotech. These have had some of the best performance for the last 10 years. In fact, the best performing sector has averaged 13.78% for 10 years. That's a spectacular number, and that is the health biotechnology area. Right behind that is the global science and technology area with a 10-year average of 13.42%. And then the science and technology area, which has averaged 11.97%, just a hair under 12% for 10 years. Compare that to the S&P 500 index, which has averaged about 8.57% for 10 years and 12.4% for five years. Sometimes, people get very overweight in the S&P and they think that they wanna always be in large company stocks. Well, large company stocks do outperform at different periods of time, but the reality is you have to own some large, some medium and some small companies and some international because at different times, money rotates, cycles change and different sectors perform better than others. We've had an extended recovery since the 2007-2008 crash, and we are late in the cycle. And what happens late in the cycle is usually smaller companies perform the best. And that's exactly what we're seeing now. On a one-year and three-year average, we're seeing small cap growth blow everything else out of the water pretty much. And on a one-year basis, small cap growth funds have averaged 26.14%. That is phenomenal. And on a three-year basis, they've averaged 11.13%. 
Again, compared to the S&P, they've doubled the S&P performance, which was one year 13.9%, again, versus 26.14% for small cap growth. And the S&P on a three-year basis has averaged a little over 10% versus 11.13% for small cap growth. So we're seeing small caps handily outperform the larger companies on a one and a three-year basis. On a five-year basis, they're about equal, both over 12% averages. The key to asset allocation is you want to have all of these different asset classes in your portfolio. Again, some large uh, and mainly a, a good portion of your portfolio is going to be in the larger companies because they tend to be more steady, more stable. And then a smaller amount in your mid caps and a, another smaller amount in your small caps and your international and emerging markets. You can also put real estate in there. As a sector, real estate has performed well, but not as spectacularly as the individual housing markets might have in your neighborhood. Uh, real estate for a 10-year basis has averaged 5.66% per year. And on a five-year basis, 6.29%. On a three-year basis, 4.12%. And on a one-year basis, only 1.5%. So real estate in terms of real estate stocks has not been where the great performance has been. Again, that's been more in the science, technology, healthcare, biotech areas. When we look at science and technology and how it's performing as a sector, the top area is global science and technology on a one-year basis of 29.09% and science technology sector on a one-year basis up 26.59%. We don't always want to get caught up in where's the short-term performance, but it is good to know where is the short-term performance happening because sometimes the market slows, as we've seen in the first five months of this year, we've really been in an extended correction and the S&P 500 and Dow have been basically consolidating and you know, taking back some of the gains that we had had for the previous year, which is understandable. The market was up quite a lot last year and it takes time for the market to sort of work its way out and sometimes pull back, that's very healthy. It's not always easy to see where is the performance happening, what sectors of the market are still going strong, because sometimes the overall market is not really working that great. For example, the S&P 500 year to date is up only 1.82%. And a lot of that came in the last month because in the last month it was up 2.36%. But for three months, the S&P 500 is up only 0.07%. So again, very slight performance. It's been mainly consolidating, going sideways. And that's why it's good to have some mid caps, some small caps in your portfolio, and maybe some of these sectors. You know, maybe having some additional sectors can give you additional growth, can be steady and stable growers when some of the other areas of the economy are not growing so fast or are pulling back. And I would say some of the weaker areas of the market tend to be utilities and telecoms have had a more difficult year as have a lot of the bond market. So you're not getting the performance in your bond portfolio or in your bond asset allocation nor in your utilities or telecommunications. When we look at overseas markets, where have the best 
countries been performing or the best regions been? Number one region on a 10-year basis has been Japan. We've seen Japan average about 6.09% for 10 years and on a five-year basis over 10.5% per year. Compare that to China, which has done well, but a little less than Japan, averaging 5% instead of 6 on a 10-year basis and averaging 9.8 versus 10.5 on a five-year basis compared to Japan. China has come on really strong on a one-year basis, up 26.35%, so tremendous performance there handily outperforming Japan at 14.98% on a one-year basis. But Japan has done better for three years at 8.39% versus 5.15 for China. When we look at Europe and Latin America, some of the performance has been more in the 4 to 6% range. In fact, Latin America's even had a negative return for five and 10 years negative 3% on a five-year average and negative 4% on a 10-year average. Europe has had a very anemic 1.88% 10-year average return and 6.14 five-year average return. We've seen India perform much stronger than that. On a five-year basis, India has averaged over 11% at 11.29%. On a 10-year basis, not so much, 4.37%. On a three-year basis, India has performed at 6.92, and on a one-year basis, a little over 6%. But year-to-date, it's down almost 7.5%. So India is having a short-term pullback, but has had a very strong over 11% five-year average annual return. And in fact, has on a five-year basis performed the best of any of these overseas markets that are listed here with Japan performing second on a five-year basis and China performing third on a five-year basis. As we look at the bond market, we can see that the best performing area of the bond market on a five-year basis has been the high yield area or what we call junk bonds. Those have higher risk, are lower rated bonds, and because interest rates over a 10-year period have tended to trend down, they have outperformed the most, which is not really that surprising. Year to date and on a one-year basis, we have several different categories of bonds that have negative returns. On a three-year average, they are generally averaging under a two or three percent return, some under a one percent return on a three-year average. So Bonds, again, struggling, not unexpected with a rising interest rate environment. We're just not going to see the performance in the bond market that we have seen in the past. Again, because as interest rates come down like they did years ago from 1982 for about a 30-year trend, we saw bond valuations go up. But now that we're in a rising interest rate market, we should over the next 30 years in general, see the bond market valuations tend to be coming down. So not surprising that uh, bonds look particularly weak here, are not providing a lot of return, would not be overweight in bonds here or in target funds, which tend to have a lot of bonds in them too, unless you are very close to needing the funds in retirement or for some other purpose. If you are wanting growth, I think the growth areas 
definitely be sure to have some small and mid caps in your portfolio, not just the large companies, and also include some of those sectors like technology, healthcare, and possibly biotechnology. I'm not recommending specific things for your portfolio. These are just, you know, a general guideline and review to show you where performance has been coming from and what looks like it's still continuing to grow very, very strongly. Just to give you some ideas of what you can have in your portfolio, what to think about, what to look for. I know that asset allocation is one thing that I get asked a lot about where people just aren't really sure how to allocate their funds. If you have a 401k plan, ask for the website where your provider gives information because they will generally have asset allocation models that you can imitate in your 401k. You can also use those for your IRA or for any other investments that you have, but those are generally provided by your employer to just give you some examples of what to do for a conservative portfolio, what to do for moderate, and what to do for aggressive. And generally, if you have more than 10 years to invest, you should be thinking more aggressively. That's the one mistake that people make the most is they're too conservative with their portfolio and they don't have enough allocated into stocks. What you really need to get to those higher compounding rates is to have more of your portfolio into stocks. Yes, it is going to provide more risk, more fluctuation, but in the end, if you're investing again over a 10-year period, it should average out to a higher return for you, which is going to get you more in your retirement account, which is going to get you to your goals faster. I will post a snapshot of this article on my website at lindapjones.com. If you haven't yet subscribed to Be Wealthy and Smart, please hit the subscribe button and you'll be updated as soon as new podcasts are available. And if we haven't connected yet on social media like Instagram, I'm giving tips there every day and quotes and different ideas than what I do on the podcast. So if you want more, you can go to lindapjones at instagram.com or connect with me on Twitter at lindapjones. That's all for today. Until next time, live the good life and be wealthy and smart. Thank you for listening to Be Wealthy and Smart with Linda P. Jones. Share the wealth and tell your family and friends about the show. Check out our website, blog, and social media for more riches at www.bewealthyandsmart.com.